Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Leo and Ben Cisneros. Daniel is the CEO of Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, an organization which supports professional and semi-professional players of the Pacific Island heritage in the UK and Europe. Daniel is also a director of Tussisala Films and has previous experience as a professional rugby player. Before this, Daniel worked as an athlete ambassador at Right to Play, empowering children to be successful. Ben is currently a trainee solicitor at Morgan Sports Law. Having joined the firm last year after graduating from Cambridge University, he regularly writes articles for his rugby and the law blog, and in his spare time is a keen sportsman, being the former national and European sailing champion. So, a very, very warm welcome, Daniel and Ben. Thanks for having us, Rob. Pleasure to be here. Hi, Yeah, cheers, Rob. Absolute pleasure to have you both. So before we dive into all of your amazing achievements and experience to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality hit series Suits in terms of its reality? I think it's fair for me to go to Ben for this one. Yeah, I think I'd probably have to give it uh, about a one, to be honest. I think about the only thing that's real about it is the fact that it's to do with lawyers. Um, put it this way, I've, I've never seen Harvey draft anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a one is probably a fair outcome. And a lot of people say the fact that he can be a corporate lawyer one day, a litigator the next day, and various others. Um, I'm, yet, I'm yet to see somebody who, who can master that. So let's, let's start at the beginning. And, and Dan, coming to you first, tell our listeners a bit about your background and, and upbringing. Yeah, I was uh, Samoan uh, by heritage, um, small Pacific Island, only really known for uh, exporting coconuts uh, and uh, rugby players. So um, yeah, I was one of those, went to New Zealand uh, at a young age, um, went through the schooling system in New Zealand and uh, played rugby all my life. It was probably um, destined, dad was a massive rugby fan, really uh, pushed me into, into, into rugby. I wouldn't say it was as, um, as far going as like Serena Williams' dad or uh, <laughs> anything like that. Was there, but you know, um, I think yeah, there was probably a bit of desperation that uh, that uh, rugby would be a, a way for, for for me to provide for the family, which it became. So yeah, and then moved over to uh, the UK at uh, about twenty two years of age um, to Wasps, and I uh, played fifteen careers at various clubs um, throughout Europe before retiring uh, three or four years ago. Played for Samoa throughout that uh, that period, which was um, yeah, which is real pleasure. And a couple of World Cups as well. So uh, yeah, and then um, sort of transitioned into this uh, role that I'm doing now, uh, helping to look after news of experience that I built up over the last sort of uh, fifteen or twenty years playing uh, to, to try and pass that on and help the, the next the next crop of uh, not just Pacific players, but a lot of the work that we do is actually for the, the greater good of uh, all athletes that play the game of rugby, um, as we'll probably get into later. Yeah, we're definitely going to jump into all of that. And Ben, how about you? Tell us a bit about your sort of background and, and upbringing. Yeah, so I'm, as you said in the introduction, I'm a training solicitor at Morgan Sports Law and I graduated in, in 2019 from Cambridge University. So I'm, I'm pretty fresh in my legal career, I suppose. But, you know, I, I have a, a huge passion for, for sports law, which is the area that obviously I'm, I'm working in. I'm very fortunate to have got into that field at this point in my career. But I also have a, a, a great interest in rugby and always have done, I think, perhaps from my uh, New Zealand heritage, I'm, I'm half Kiwi as well. So I think that part of my blood has drawn me to the game, I suppose. And um, although I've never been a player of any great caliber, it's always been something that I've had a great interest in. And uh, in, in recent years, I've sort of tried to combine that with my 
my passion for law and um, set up my, my rugby and the law blog and working to develop um, my expertise in that field, really. Yeah, great stuff. And I do follow your blog and anyone listening should definitely check it out, particularly as me as a rugby enthusiast fan. I think the content you produce is super, super interesting. So Dan, you touched on it just as part of your your sort of intro there, but before becoming the CEO of Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, you were a professional rugby player. Tell us about some of those experiences and what that was actually like. Yeah, uh, fantastic. You know, I was really lucky to play, you know, the pinnacle of the game, um, you know, with some of the, you know, the world's top players, you know, World Cup winners, uh, at a, a couple of World Cups, as I said, myself. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess, the, you know, the um, the day in, day out of being a professional rugby player is, you know, like, probably like any other job, you know, it's got its ups, but it's also got its downs and it can be a lot uh, more mundane than, you know, the, the games are great, but the training in between, you know, um, can be pretty, pretty tough, particularly, you know, those early sort of Tuesday, Wednesday sessions where you just, you know, they try and replicate, they try and make those training sessions harder than games so that when you get to the games, it's, you know, it's theoretically easier. That may work when you're younger, but when you sort of get into your early 30s and you're trying to trying to hang on, um, it can get quite tough. So, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, um, a lot of traveling, that can be too difficult, you know, short contracts, uh, one to two year contracts most of the time, having to chase the egg around the world. Which sounds again romantic, but um, you know when you, you know you pick up a wife and a couple of kids um, along the way, you know it gets tougher, um, harder and harder. So um, yeah, and I had a great time. Um, was yeah, as I said earlier, was really privileged, I guess, to be able to play for my country, my dad's country, Samoa, and um, and and represent them uh, on a number of occasions. And um, it's like anything, you know, you look back, and I'm proud of what I achieved, but I feel like you know um, I've got a lot more to. Um, you know, to do now. Um, maybe, you know, I was never a superstar of the game, but I feel like um, maybe the mark that I can leave uh, and the legacy that I can leave is more of the work that I'm doing now as opposed to anything I, I could do, <laughs> could or couldn't do on the field. So, uh, yeah. Good stuff. And do you have a particular highlight that stands out to you from your professional playing days? Oh, I think, I think, I guess on a, on a club level, probably winning the Heineken Cup of Wasps against, well, I mean, side by side with guys like Lawrence Delalio and Josh Lucy, Simon Shaw, even as, oh, you know, um, we had, a, we had a, a team full of superstars and that was, that was amazing. Actually, I was, I was really young when it happened. I'd, I'd only been in England for two years when that had happened and I didn't realize how special that, you know, winning those sorts of, it was normal to me at that stage because Wasps were winning, were winning everything. I mean, at the end, you know, I sort of got to 30, 35 and I hadn't won a, a trophy in 10 years. And you, you realize but those are special moments. But um, playing in a World Cup as well, um, my second one was in New Zealand and that was almost a home World Cup for us given the amount of Samoans that have migrated to New Zealand, including my family. So that was, uh, that was really awesome as well. You know, arriving to the airport from Samoa to Auckland and having 10,000 fans greet us um, at the airport just screaming. It was like... You know, the closest that you could get, to, I guess, to being a pop star that, that I'll have experienced. I'm banned from attending any more World Cups because I was in Tokyo with England and I was in Paris against South Africa twice. So all my friends are saying I'm the bad luck omen. So I'm not allowed to go to <laughs> any more World Cup finals. So that we're going to move swiftly on from a World Cup. But I, that sounds like a an amazing experience. So we've touched on it again, Dan, just sticking with you, the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare earlier, but for people not familiar with it, can you tell us more about it and why it was set up? Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a movement by former players, um, myself being at the, the forefront as director of that, but really there was uh, about 
you know, a good 50 players around the world that really came together to, to put this organization together and, and, and give it the feet it needed. The Samoan culture is very hierarchical, so and the Pacific Island culture, so I couldn't have done this anything like this by myself because I would have been, A, would have been very difficult for me to, to reach out to the Fijians and Tongans and Wallace and Fatunans and New Caledonians as a Samoan, but also my age would have counted against me because um, the way our culture is structured is the more grey hair you have on your head, the more respect you're given. So um, there was a lot of senior guys, a lot more senior than me, who had been you know, uh, part of that those Pacific Island teams, particularly from Samoa, that really put Pacific Island rugby on the map in the World Cups in 91 and 95. Guys like Michael Munger and Junior Paramore and guys like that. So, to really put this organization together, and really it's a support mechanism. It's a, it's a network to support the, the hundreds of players, if not thousands of players now, that are playing professional and semi-professional rugby um, of Pacific Island descent around the world. So um, and, and giving them the skills that they need in terms of the community but also some of the things like, um, you know, that, that uh, Morgan Sports and Ben offered to us, the legal services behind that, that um, are so important uh, to have those resources when it comes to dealing with contracts and moving overseas and cultural integration and, and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah, a whole, lot of, a whole lot of arms to the organization. But, yeah, really, I guess in a nutshell, it's a, it's a, it's a support network for professional, professional rugby players from, from the islands. Yeah, and I, I love that word you used there about community as well, because I think the organization slogan is stronger together. So how did you arrive at that? And is there anything else you would add just around that particular slogan from your side? I mean, it was, it was probably quite cliche now, stronger together. You know, we, we, we chucked it down and we thought, oh, that would be awesome. And then I think the South African rugby team picked it up and <laughs> almost every, every organization uses that slogan now. So we're in the, we're in the uh, process of actually possibly changing that up and, you know, making it, you know, a bit more, a bit more unique again. Um, but I guess that just reflected what, where we were at the time as we needed to come together because um, like anything, you know, you, you, you're weak when you're divided. Our colonial past of the Pacific Islands is, is evident of that. Thousands of years ago, the Pacific were, were, one, were one people. We, we, you know, we interchangled between the islands and we saw ourselves as one people. And the first thing that the colonials came in, came in and said, no, you're all separate countries, you're all different people groups. And that made us weak. So we knew that for some of the battles that we faced in terms of professional rugby, the professional rugby landscape, we were, we would be stronger again together and united. We couldn't do it as former Samoa rugby players or Fiji rugby or Tonga players. We had to come together and, uh, really, um, because a lot of the, the difficulties we, we face are, are shared between those people groups. So we would do better fighting and bandying together to, to take those on. Yeah, and I, and I love that, and I couldn't agree more. Um, ben, switching to a slightly sort of legal point, um, a large part of what the organisation done is supporting players by striving for more fairness and transparency in sports law. I believe in January it was announced that World Rugby will introduce a fit and proper persons test for elected officials, a matter that I believe you helped to advise on. Do you think that move goes far enough? Well, just to be clear, I wasn't involved in advising World Rugby at all, but it's something that Dan, Dan and I looked at in, in uh, last summer when we put together a, a report to go to World Rugby's working group that was looking at governance. And that was one of the things we addressed was the eligibility of people to, to hold positions within World Rugby and particularly on the, the World Rugby Council and, and their executive committee, which are essentially sort of the legislative bodies and, and the decision-making bodies of World Rugby. It's something that we've, we've looked at in quite a lot of detail. I think that the, the announcement in January by World Rugby on the face of it is a positive. It's really good to see that they've taken action and addressed 
what is a key issue we feel. But I think the proof will be in the pudding. It's, it's too early really to say whether it's going to achieve what we'd like it to achieve, because frankly, there hasn't been any detail released around it yet, which is understandable because they're only sort of at the interim stage of their review. And also, you know, the full findings, I'm sure, may not have yet been produced. So it's, um, it's still early days in that respect. But I think it, it's certainly something that is necessary. That last year, there was, of course, the controversy surrounding um, Francis Keane, who was Fiji's representative on the World Rugby Council. And, and as Dan knows all too well and could probably give a little more detail on, he, he was previously convicted of manslaughter and was sort of involved in a few things which were probably not becoming of someone in, in a position on, you know, within a world governing body of sport. So that really highlighted the fact that, that World Rugby doesn't really have procedures in place to deal with the nature of the people who are um, going to be sitting on its committees and, and, and their perhaps past conduct. And clearly it's something that needs to be addressed because, you know, if you look at most other major governing bodies, whether it's football, cricket, athletics, they all have very stringent processes for selecting people who, who are going to sit on those decision-making bodies. Really pleased that it's something that's been picked up on, but there's still more more to be done. Yeah, no, and thanks, thanks for sharing that. Very, very interesting to see how things will evolve over time. Um, and sticking with you, Ben, so the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare recently announced a partnership with Morgan Sports Law. Can you tell us more about what that partnership involves? Yeah, so that partnership involves us providing legal support to Pacific Rugby Players Welfare and its members. It's a partnership that we're, we're really pleased about. We feel that our, our values as a firm align very closely with the values of Pacific Rugby Players Welfare. Um, as a firm, we're pretty focused on protecting athletes' rights and doing what we can to support athletes. You know, often they, they end up in weaker positions. And so it's important, we feel, to be able to give them um, proper representation. So it's a partnership that we're really, really excited to have. And we're really looking forward to doing, to doing work with, with Dan and his organisation going forward. We'll see us advise them, we imagine, on, on issues relating to players' contracts, but also some of these wider issues, like like you mentioned before, with the fit and proper purpose person test being an example, these wider governance issues, which really affect players across the game, but perhaps particularly those in the more vulnerable positions like those from the Pacific. And Dan, from, from your side, obviously it's uh, it's relatively new, this partnership. How do you see it evolving over time? And you know, what, what sort of future plans do you do you see? Geez, I think uh, I don't think uh, Ben and Morgan Sports probably uh, knew what they were getting into when they uh, <laughs> when they first uh, offered to come in and, uh, and partner with us. Uh, ben and I have spent a lot of time <laughs> on the phone on a lot of different issues at all times of the day and night. I'm, I'm here in Brisbane and uh, in the UK, it's uh, you know trying to trying to touch bases can be difficult. But um, for me, I've got no um, concept at all of, uh, anything. Uh, I've got no legal background. My, my background was in communications and journalism. And I learned, um, you know, sometimes the hard way to, to outsource quite well. And, um, when Morgan Sports came, came to look, um, we were keen to partner with you guys. Uh, it was a, it was a godsend really because, um, so many of the battles, uh, that we have, even making, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but making a documentary, the, the legal, intricacies of doing something uh, you know taking on something like that and are huge um so yeah there's been a, a, a number of different fronts and and and, and the, the thing about pacific island rugby and and particularly in, in welfare is uh it is like an it's a real minefield you just don't know what you're going to get uh, what, 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 what's going to be thrown at you but the good thing you know um i've sort of followed ben a lot a lot on, on social media and some of the stuff he was doing personally 
Um, and then, and then Morgan Sports being uh, very specific in, in the sports law is, is, is really uh, helpful to us. We actually had a, a big firm that was um, that provided a lot of our um, supports um, in the initial stages of setting up the organisation. But we've moved on to that to being a real support to, to the players now, and um, um, having a, having a, a you know a, a company like Morgan um, behind us just gives us real clout. Really, um, it just means that every conversation that we have, um, you know. Uh, means it's not just coming from Dan Leo. We've got, we know we've got the, we've got the guns behind us there. You know, should we need them? We haven't had to go down that path many times, but we've got some, you know, we've got the, um, the access there for our players should we need it. Let's hope that we don't, um, that we don't, but you've got to always, uh, I guess plan, plan for the worst, you know. And, um, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to where this, uh, where this relationship's going to go into the future. Yeah, no, well, well said. Um, and Ben, you began working as a, a trainee solicitor last year, I believe. How did you find the process of applying for firms and what factors did you think about that helped you obtain your training contract? As I think a lot of people would be well aware, it's hard enough getting a training contract in itself and probably even more competitive in the area of sports law. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that there aren't that many training contracts in sports law specifically. So I, I, I recognize that I'm incredibly fortunate to be in the position that I am, uh, as I think I mentioned earlier. But you know, when I, when I was looking for training contracts, I was looking around a wide variety of firms. I had this idea relatively early into my university days that sports law would be something I'd like to work in. So I was looking at firms that had some expertise in that field, albeit that I realized if I was going to be a trainee, it's probably not something I would see until a number of years down the line. Um, But actually, after my first year at university, I I, um, got an internship at Morgan Sports Law, as well as a, a couple of other sports firms. Simply, which is something I simply got by reaching out, writing emails, asking if they did work experience and that sort of thing. And I was fortunate enough to get an internship at Morgan Sports Law and, and really the relationship went from there. So although when it came to applying for training contracts, I was looking at a, a variety of firms and obviously you know, there's always the lure of the city and what they can offer. I just decided that really I wanted to focus on sports law because I, I knew it was what my ultimate goal was going to be. When the opportunity came up to do a training contract at Morgan Sports Law and, and sort of get straight into into the field that I, I wanted to to end up in, it was a, it was a no brainer. I also had some experience at a, you know a city firm, but I, I just felt it wasn't for me. My interest was really in in sport and the legal issues around that, rather than I suppose some of the more traditional um, fields of of corporate law. Perhaps that's not to say that you know. I'm not interested in the commercial aspects of, of sport and, and, and business around that. Of course, I am. And that's actually one of the things I love about working in sports or is that it is so varied because although we talk about sports law being a field, I mean, what is sports law? It's just really the law as it applies to sport. Yes, there are sort of really specific niche areas like, I suppose, anti-doping, which is only something that crops up in, in the context of sport. But really, there's such a variety of things that a sports lawyer does and so that's really one of the most attractive things about it and that's interesting so that leads nicely on to what i was going to ask next in terms of what's it actually like working as a sports law what are some of the experiences you've had thus far um whilst completing your your training contract yeah well as you mentioned before i only started my training contract last year so i'm only six months in at this point um, but really, I suppose the main thing is that it's, it's been very varied. You know, I, I've worked on a, on a variety of matters, whether it's to do with anti-doping cases, personal injury matters, disciplinary cases. It, it's really incredibly varied. And I think that's one of the things I, I enjoy most about it. Obviously, as a trainee, 
there are some of the sort of stereotypical training tasks that you would do. But I think probably the best thing about working for the Morgan Sports Store is that as it's a small firm, I'm able to take on some more responsibility, uh, more responsibility than I probably would get at a at a big city firm, for example. So, you know, I've been involved in drafting submissions, witness statements, interviewing clients, etc. So, yeah, really hands on, uh, which is which is fantastic. I really enjoy getting stuck in and, and you know, it's, it's a challenge because obviously it's not not something I've done before, but I, I love that. And um, yeah, it's I feel like I'm sort of learning a lot every single day. And, and that's um, really, I suppose, the best you can hope for it as a trainee. And it's it's great how you've managed to combine your passions of sports and law. And I guess people listening in who may have a passion, let's say, in technology, you gave some good insight earlier about how you you got your training contract through a lot of networking, um, you know, and putting yourself out there. Is there a sort of top tip you would give to aspiring lawyers or maybe even lawyers looking to transition into another practice area that they're more passionate about that you would give that, that would work for them? Well, I think you touched on it there. I think it's about putting yourself out there. I think having the confidence to to reach out to people, especially in these these um sort of socially distant times, just because just because you can't meet up with people in person doesn't mean there aren't networking opportunities out there. In fact, I've probably done some of my best networking during the pandemic um, online. People are really accessible these days on social media or obviously by email as well. But it's it's you know it's not too difficult to, to make contacts. I mean, particularly in the sports law world, I find that everyone is is really open and and willing to chat. But I'm sure the same can be said of many sectors. And, and so, you know, I suppose my my biggest tip uh, would be just to be confident to re- reach out to people, and you never know where um, a conversation might lead or, or or where an email exchange might lead. And you know, it's the only way to to sort of access new opportunities. I guess is is to to make new connections and and try and expand your network. Um, but 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 also, you know, just trying to develop your expertise i suppose that might be a bit too strong but sort of trying to um grow grow your knowledge base in, in the area you want to work in is obviously really important too um whether it's you know just listening to loads of podcasts about about the area or or reading up on it um writing about it you know obviously for me that's that's been a major driver of uh, of my knowledge base writing my blog is is it's given me opportunities because people people have fortunately read it and enjoyed it, but also the actual process of writing it has allowed me to expand my knowledge base greatly. And that was probably the reason I set it up in the first place was was really for myself. It wasn't to to become a blogger or or to to entertain the masses. Absolutely not. I'm not under any illusions that my blog will appeal to the masses. But really, it was set up for me to work on my own legal writing and um, to. Yeah, like I mentioned loads of times, <laughs> expand my knowledge base, and, and I think that's that's got to be key. So yeah, networking and, and growing your uh, growing your uh, field of expertise. And yeah, I love I love those tips. And the thing you talk about there, whilst you were being quite humble in that, you know, if you produce content, that will increase your visibility. If you're putting valuable content out into your ecosystem, visibility will inevitably lead to conversations, and that will inevitably lead to opportunities. So. Yeah, for people who are thinking about starting a blog within your particular areas or whatever, if you produce valuable content, then you will naturally foster um, relationships. So, Dan, we have to move to you and your filmmaking career. So last year, I believe um, you released Oceans Apart, um, greed, betrayal and Pacific Island film in which you discussed how you sacrificed your own career to confront the corruption that existed in the National Union. And you also examined the darker side of the sport. So can you tell us a bit more about it and why you decided to make that film? 
to, to, to relate to what Ben was saying, you know, our goal was to, to try and reach the masses, I suppose, and particularly around the challenges that we faced as Pacific rugby players uh, and the Pacific Island rugby unions and some of the, you know, I guess the, the injustices that we feel um, currently exist um, around areas like uh, eligibility and, um, you know, the weighting of the, of the voting system and the council, those sorts of things. Um, you know, but um, through my career, I, it just struck me speaking to, to people who loved rugby, um, you know, who were really, you know, loved the Pacific Islands, how little they knew about the, the, the actual challenges that we that, that existed for us and how and how they could it could help, I suppose, once they did become aware of it. So we wanted to do that on mass and hence uh, the the concept of the, the Oceans Apart um, film. It took us three years to, to film. It was, was diff- very difficult at times. Um, you know, culturally, again, um, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but we don't, don't really speak up against our, our uh, authority in, our, in, in, in the Pacific Islands. And that's probably one of the reasons why we are where we are, is um, that just no one's wanted to step out, you know, put their foot outside into the, uh, out the boats and, and test the waters. So, um, yes, it's, it was quite break, groundbreaking in that respect. But uh, you know, definitely with the, the motivation of actually trying to, to make the sport that we all love um, greater than it already, already is. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, you do have to take, you know, um, to look, I guess, introspectively and retrospectively. So we, we needed to, you know, look at the, the factors that, you know, we believed influenced, um, you know, negatively influenced possibly Pacific Island rugby, but also some of the cultural aspects around that, that we need to address within ourselves that are, that are holding us back as well. So hopefully, you know, within it was quite difficult to do that within a one-hour production. But, um, you know, hopefully it raises, you know, and inspires a bit more conversation around some of those points that we raised to, to create the, the positive change that we need um, to come out of it um, for, for, for the good of the game. Yeah, well, well said. And for people who haven't seen it, where can they access or get, get visibility of it? It's on Amazon Prime in the UK, also on Vimeo uh, worldwide, but we're just about to premiere um, and a, a few of the other countries as well. So we're just late discussions here in Australia and we really want to get that in front of it. It's only really um, premiered in uh, the UK and the US at the moment. So we really want to get that in all of the, um, get that in front of all the audiences and, and all of the rugby playing nations. But also, you know, the, the way that we tried to set it up is that you could, you could watch it without having to be a rugby fan as well. So even if you're, if you don't know anything about rugby, we wanted to, people to be able to watch it and still get something, be able to take something from that. So we had a, yeah, it was a small team. We had a tiny budget. We had a 10,000 pound budget, which is unheard of, uh, you know, and it's been really well received. Credit to the, to the team, including uh, our friends at Morgan Sports who helped us sort out all the legalities, which was a, a huge uh, task in itself, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, but we are where we are. A lot of goodwill from the rugby community has gone into being able to, um, you know, not just uh, the, the film to be uh, be able to produ- be produced, but also for us as an organisation to stand on our feet and do the work that we're doing as well. We couldn't do it without um, um, all the all the volunteers, all the people that support us uh, free of charge. And um, yeah, we've but we've still got a lot a lot of work to do, as, as anyone um, who's seen the film uh, probably knows. Good stuff. And for anyone wanting to become a member of the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, how do they do that? And if people want to support the organisation generally, how can they get involved? Yeah, we've just opened up a membership. So, so, so for the first four, four years of our existence, we were only a membership group based for, for the players, for the Pacific players themselves. So you had to be a Pacific Island-based player to, uh, to be a member. We've just opened that up to, uh, to wider membership as well for people that want to support but aren't necessarily players themselves or even of Pacific Island heritage. 
So uh, that, that can all be done via our website, uh, pacificrugbywelfare.com. Uh, go on there, you can see a bit more about what we're about. Obviously, we don't have time to get into all of the strands of the stuff that we do here, but uh, there is, a, you know, some some really good work being done there. So, yeah, anyone that wants to support, um, um, just please, if, if, if you can't do that on uh, through the website, please contact me directly on either um, LinkedIn or Twitter. You know, I'll make sure that uh, your uh, that your your support is, is well channeled. Good stuff, and Ben. Finally, we did talk a lot about the rugby and the law blog. So how can people access that and how pe- how can people get in touch with you if they've got any questions about sports law or anything you've discussed today? Yeah, so the blog is www.rugbyandthelaw.com. It's also on, on Twitter. It's also on Facebook, but I don't, I don't really use Facebook that much, but on Twitter at Rugby and the Law. Um, people can find me on, on Twitter at Ben underscore Cisneros on, on LinkedIn. And if they have any inquiries about anything they discuss, feel free to reach out to me via any of those channels or, or at uh, my email address, which is ben.cisneros at morgansl.com. Brilliant. Well, that just leads me to say thank you both so, so much. Dan, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Wishing you both lots of continued success, not only with your partnership, but your own careers and endeavours. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, over and out. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Legally Speaking podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help support us, remember to leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. You can also support the show and gain exclusive benefits, bonus content and much more by signing up to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Legally Speaking podcast. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is the end of season three of our Legally Speaking podcast. Special thanks to all our amazing guests that are featured on the show. Fear not, we'll be back in the beginning of April with the launch of our season four. We have so many special guests to feature from Richard Branson's former lawyer, right the way through to top legal influencers and more. If you want to know about the world of law, careers, legal inspiration, or just curious to know more about law, Do let us know. Over and out.